0: Welcome back. Happy April 21st, 2021. I always find it interesting when committed leftists and Democrats try to analyze the Republican Party, indeed sometimes even offering it advice as if it wants the Republican Party to succeed. This all comes from a movement and party that simply, plainly put, does not understand us. They try to quiet us and censor us and When they don't, they ignore us and come up with their own chimerical caricatures of us and what we believe. How do you know of something you never listen to or read? The point is just not to know, of course. The point is to defeat us, and that should never be forgotten. They don't care to understand us. They care to defeat us. Just as truth from them is the first thing they hope everyone else does indeed forget. Thus, today we get Thomas Edsel in The New York Times writing a column titled, Why Trump is Still Their Guy. Now, before I read it, I should tell you, I've not really said whether I think Donald Trump should run again in 2024, and I'm still not sure. I see some arguments for it. I see some good ones against it. But that all said, nothing in my variegated analysis included or ever gave me a whiff of a thought about the stuff Mr. Edsel wrote today and i don't think it gives a whiff of an insight into the true thoughts of mr trump's supporters i certainly don't think any other trump supporters past or present would recognize mr edsel's description of them he doesn't know us he doesn't read us he doesn't listen to us so how would he be able to write about us with any accuracy and his bo- and his party and his party wants nobody else to listen to us as well hence Censorship and cancel culture. So there can be no attraction to us or argument against their nostrums. Quite a clever strategy, all that. Mr. Edsel writes, for instance, today, and none of it hit the target because it wasn't even on the right battlefield aimed at the right enemy. Trump's centrality guarantees, Mr. Edsel writes, Trump's centrality guarantees that, quote, large numbers of resentful, truth-denying, conspiracy-minded, anti-democratic, overwhelmingly white voters will continue continue to find aid and comfort in the Republican Party. In other words, the Trump Republican or Trump voter is overwhelmingly likely to be white, truth-denying, anti-democratic, and conspiracy-minded. We don't have to even get to the pejoratives before we get to the first misstatement of fact in this litany. The white vote that he mentions, especially the white male vote. It's been shrinking for the Republicans. And indeed, Joe Biden received so much more of the white male vote this time that it put him over the top. As Andrew Yarrow Analyzed it, Biden made an impressive 11 percentage point gain among white college educated men and a 6 percentage point gain among white non college educated men, supposedly Trump's core constituency. This is a big deal in two ways. One, which has been widely noted, is that Trump made surprising gains among non white Americans. And the second, which has not been extensively examined, is the shift of white men to the former vice president. Another examination by The Guardian finds this. Across racial and ethnic groups, women shifted towards Trump this cycle. In the last election, Trump won white women by a margin of nine percentage points. This year, he won by 11 percentage points. In 2016, Democrats won Hispanic and Latino women by 44 percentage points. In 2021, They won by 39. Last cycle, Democrats won black women by 90 percentage points. This year, by 81 points. That is, in a year when a black woman was on a major party ticket for the first time in U.S. history, the margin between Democrats and Republicans among black women shifted 9 percentage points towards Donald Trump. Trump saw comparable gains with black and Hispanic men as well. Overall, comparing 2016 and 2020, Trump gained four percentage points with African-Americans, three percentage points with Hispanics and Latinos, and five percentage points with Asian-Americans. Concluding also, in fact, virtually the only racial or gender constellation the president did not gain with are the people that are often described wrongfully as his core constituency, white men. So the idea this is a white male party or a party of overwhelmingly white voters, which could have been said numerically of any party given our demographics, is actually least true of the Republican Party today, or at least the least true of Donald Trump and the Republican Party. Good, bad, or indifferent, the Republican Party has never been less white male, at least not in our lifetimes. What is true is how Trump picked up women and minorities, especially when a woman and minority was on the opposite ticket. But Mr. Edsel finds that, I'm sure, all very inconvenient. He certainly wants to bury it as a fact or write alternative facts or what we just should call lies. By the way, may I offer another ugly fact that was too ugly for the beautiful theories of the left? to allow to be publicized. Remember the reason Joe Biden said he decided to run for president? He said it was in response to Donald Trump's reaction to the Charlottesville riot, or mostly peaceful protests, whatever you want to call it. Remember how Joe Biden would describe the people there, hate-filled, veins bulging, faces twisted, you recall? Well, the entire protest-slash-riot was organized by a white supremacist, of course, a neo-Nazi. His name is Richard Spencer. Want to know who Richard Spencer endorsed for president in 2020? Joe Biden. In any event, the ongoing attempt to forever make us the party of the white male and the ongoing attempt to make the white male the essence of wrongness and hate and racism in our culture is not coincidental. It's the most important point of this whole monologue. But life is inconvenient, and despite all that, Republicans are picking up more and more minority support, and for a reason. It's precisely because we are not, repeat, are not the other things Thomas Edsel says we are, resentful, truth-defying, conspiracy-minded, anti-democratic. What truth have we denied? That Anthony Fauci is infallible? That medical science is a lot of different things, sometimes contradictory? About a novel virus, that mental health is as important as physical health, that depression and substance abuse are serious problems, that suicide is a problem, that challenges to our youth, especially educational and social, are a problem, and radically disrupting the normal lives of children is a worrisome thing, that freedom is important, that riots are to be denounced? Oh no, wait, those are the truths the left has denied. What of us being anti-democratic, that we want to protect and ensure the sanctity of one man, one vote by demanding gasp, the same information from citizens to vote that most major corporate buildings require to enter, that every airline, bus and train requires you to show before you board? Should voting be less protected in a democracy than visiting a mortgage broker or attending a basketball game where you also need to show ID to get your tickets at will call? Anti-democratic? Because we physically threaten Supreme Court justices? Anti-democratic? Because we make up slanderous lies about Supreme Court nominees? Anti-democratic? Because we want to curtail what the media can see and cover and who they can interview? Anti-democratic? Because we want to censor and fire those who stray from the party line? Oh no. Wait. Those are democratic sanctities the left has violated. Edsel calls us conspiracy-minded. Conspiracy-minded? Do we resort to false claims of fascism and reductio ad hitlerum over policies and elected officials we don't like? Conspiracy-minded? Did we pay for and invent a hoax about our opponent and Russia to wage an unremitting impeachment war against the president? Conspiracy-minded? Did our Speaker of the House deny the legitimacy of your president's election? Oh no! Wait, those are all conspiracies the Democrats have engaged in. Mr. Edsel gives us this gem in his piece today as well. A key pillar of Trump's strength is his success in turning the Republican Party into the explicit defender of white hegemony. Close quote. A key pillar? Okay, show it to me. Where? What is it? If it's a key pillar. It must be very evident or written somewhere or even uttered. There must be a transcript of someone talking about it. When did Donald Trump ever use the word white? I challenge anyone. When not in the context of other colors of people, for lack of a better word, as in white, black, Hispanic, Asian, as in, you know, any other use than in a list. When did he ever use white? He never has. It is a phantom the left has created over Trump and the Republican Party that requires no fact check. You get more people of color voting for Trump and he is losing white males, but of course, white hegemony is his key pillar. Someone didn't tell the millions of African Americans who voted for Donald Trump and in increasing numbers, evidently. The left has been trying to throw this sheet around us and wrap us up in it and toss us into the sea to drown us with for a long time. It's not new. Steve Hayward gives us some history. We've done it before. By 1945, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was saying that a Republican return to Congress would represent a victory for the forces of fascism. Nothing subtle about that. Or how about this front page headline from the New York Times, October 25th, 1948? President likens Dewey to Hitler as fascist tool. It begins this way. Quote A Republican victory on election day will bring a fascistic threat to American freedom. I have long catalogue I have a long catalogue of these statements. Here's a short sampler starting with Barry Goldwater's nomination in nineteen sixty four. San Francisco Democratic mayor John Shelley said Republicans had Mein Kampf as their political Bible. Columnist Drew Pearson wrote that the smell of fascism was in the air at the nineteen sixty four. Convention. The Chicago Defender ran this headline, quote, GOP Convention 1964 recalls Germany 1933, close quote. Following Newt Gingrich's landslide in 1994, Representative George Miller said, quote, it's a glorious day if you're a fascist, close quote. Charlie Rangel on GOP budget cuts said, quote, Hitler wasn't even talking about doing these things, close quote. Major Owens, quote, there are people who are practicing genocide with a smile. They're worse than Hitler, these Republicans, close quote. Worse than Hitler. That must be the equivalent of turning racism and fascism up to 11. And then, of course, there's Vice President Joe Biden in 2012 saying that Mitt Romney wanted to put black people back in chains. I have a huge file of these, Steve writes. What I don't have are instances, not one of a Washington Post or New York Times editorial calling out liberals for extreme or divisive rhetoric. That's a one-way ratchet, as we all know. Liberals are free to call Republicans any crazy thing they want and even to suggest that they are un-American and ought to consider leaving the country. But if a Republican ever talks back, we see liberals get a case of the vapors. As I said, none of this is new, but it doesn't make it right or accurate either. While the left may delight in tossing Edsel's piece around to make themselves feel good and superior, Edsel's piece deserves to be tossed all right, but not around, rather, into something that is on the ground and usually round. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Welcome back, Bill. Glad to have you back in the producer's chair. Did you do anything good on your uh, day off? Anything fun? Anything smart? You washed and waxed your wife's car. Okay. Anything else enriching, ennobling? Movies, books. Do you know who Lenny Dykstra is? You like him? I'm not. uh, I was listening uh, attentively to other shows today as they were covering the uh, Shalvin trial. And a lot of them made it a very big part of the show today. And part of me was thinking maybe they made it very very big parts of their shows today. And part of me was thinking maybe it wouldn't be that big of a story in the sense that... A year ago, it would have been reasonable to think that Derek Chauvin would have been convicted in some way or another for the death of George Floyd. It would have been a reasonably predicted thing a year ago and that he was and there were no real riots to speak of last night. I thought maybe, maybe, maybe it wouldn't be such a consuming issue a dog that doesn't bark if you will but there's a funny thing that's going on here with that trial is you will notice the left and the activists now in the democratic party are saying this is only but a piece of the real work our work has only just begun This is really just a first step in the right direction of overcoming our systemic racism. How did Joe Biden put it today, last night? Systemic racism that's a stain on our nation's soul is how Joe, Joe Biden put it yesterday. Nothing in the trial itself spoke to of about race. It was not brought up by the prosecution. It was not brought up by the defense. Whatever else you can discern from the tape or the death of George Floyd, one thing the court did not get into and the prosecution did not take on was the issue of racism. The one thing there is no evidence of is racism. And yet that is what all the discussion after the verdict is about now addressing further. George Floyd is now a civil rights hero, as was testified to by none other than Nancy Pelosi. So there is an investment in keeping that narrative of systemic racism ongoing and using this. As the pillar, or at least the frame upon which to build that house further. That having been said, that having been said, you now find perhaps an unleashing, if you will, or a... un. Um, A stripping down of any guardrails of discussions about these things. What do I mean? Uh, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is anything can fly now. You can let anything rip right now. Because so many people are buying into the lies that you're being told by the Democrats about systemic racism and this being a racial incident. It wasn't. It was a homicidal incident that wasn't a racial incident. If you agree with the jury. So NBA star LeBron James puts out a tweet today. He's since deleted it with a photograph of a police officer who um, had to use his gun to save a girl from being stabbed to death. And he shot another girl in the process. LeBron James posts a picture of this cop. And types your next hashtag accountability. Almost making it open season on cops. I'll tell you about the reaction in a few moments. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour brings us John Dombrowski, president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website is grandcanyonplanning.com. He also has a radio show here on the Patriot, 960 a.m. Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. The Word on Wealth. J.D., how are you doing this fine Wednesday? Excellent. Thank you so much. Good. Yes. Glad to hear it. You haven't given me a, this day in history in a while, by you the know, way. You I, know, I was
2: looking at, you know, I, well, there's a famous uh, guitar player who did pass away on this date, and uh, he uh, loved the color purple, if that's a clue.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tragically, I forgot it was as recently as 2016, wasn't it?
2: Um, You're talking of gosh. Prince, right? Prince, yes. I don't recall the exact year, but it could have been yes, 2016. I'm not sure, but uh, he did pass away on this day. I know that. Yeah. Date.
0: Yes. Fentanyl yes. overdose. Yes. Fentanyl unfortunately. Yes. Sad. John, talk to me a little bit about what's going on over on over at the Department of Treasury. Mm. Janet Yellen, our Treasury Secretary, is now giving speeches on global warming,
2: pushing the, the agenda, the climate yeah. agenda. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, this is the agenda of the Biden administration, and there has been no h- hiding this either, Seth. I mean, this has been right out front of us. We've 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 known this from the beginning. Uh, but now we've got Janet Yellen, yeah, the Treasury Secretary, out there pushing this, uh, stating that she is, uh, you know, inf- going to be fully behind this. And they are—they've got a clean electricity standard aimed at achieving carbon-free electricity generated by uh, 2035. Can you imagine that? That's a pretty bold agenda. Uh, just what, 14 years from now? That's going to be uh, pretty difficult to hit, I would imagine. But and it's going to mean a lot of. Challenges on corporations out there and companies uh, to try to comply with whatever the rules are and regulations that they're going to be instituting.
0: It's really incredible when you think about it, when you read these stories and when you see the Secretary of the Treasury saying they're going to take the whole-of-economy approach, Mm -hmm. that they are Mm -hmm. going to make this a goal of the entire economy. And by, as you say, uh, issuing uh, ambitious goals... Uh, makes makes the um, the effort for that, uh, of course, equally am, ambitious. They're going to remove tax subsidies. They're probably mm-hmm. going to include tax penalties on companies that don't yep. comply. Yep. They're going to be using the IRS probably heavily as an enforcement probably, mechanism probably
2: this, right? You know, when we had uh, President Trump in place, when he um, pulled away from the Paris Climate Accord, uh, this the thought was is that we were going to see a lot of uh, companies in the U.S. lose because of this, and we didn't see that, Seth. Mm-mm. We saw the U.S. become uh, one of the dominant players when it came to producing energy and exporting energy, uh, and not again. I still you think it's really amazing, but when is the last time you heard about any type of real issues when it comes to oil in the Middle East? Yeah, and it's, it's an anymore. amazing
0: thing to think about the story that isn't there. I, right. I can't tell you when I lived in DC, two thousand uh, the years two thousand two, three, and four. There wasn't uh, there wasn't a think tank that wasn't putting a conference together mm-hmm. on um, oil dependency, Saudi yeah. Arabia, and the ongoing threat. And that's just not an issue anymore. It's gone.
2: Exactly. And and we're going to probably start to see some of that come back. It, it's very possible yep. uh, if they start to limit the ability for U.S. producers yep. to um, you know extract oil. Uh, and if that's the case, then we're going to start to see some of these areas of the economy probably start to have some hiccups. So, again, it's going to be important as uh, we all are trying to invest wisely and trying to build our net worth for our Uh, future and for our retirement, it's going to be important to make sure that you're invested in in the proper areas of the market that you'll be able to take advantage of what the regulatory environment will look like, not only now, but maybe 5, 10, 15 years from now.
0: I'm glad you're looking at it from uh, that perspective, John. Thank you. you. Uh, And I'm going to be watching the Secretary of the Treasury here because it turns out they have a lot more power than people think. That IRS is an enforcement mechanism tool. Mm -hmm. Think about that. That was the enforcement mechanism for Obamacare. It sure was. Um, The other story I wanted to get your take on, maybe we can do it next time you're here, here. Uh, I see uh, as, as Wall Street and Journal and others are writing about the job market being a little tighter than we might otherwise think. Mm-hmm. Uh, solid wage growth and unfilled openings point to much less slack than yes. uh, we're used to. Maybe we pick that up yep. the next time we
2: talk. Hey, drive by. You see signs all yep. over. We're hiring. We're hiring. Yep. We're hiring. The jobs are available out there for people who want them. It's just you got to go out there and get them. Yep. Securities and Advisory Services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finn Recipient, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, Client One Securities LLC, and not affiliated. Again, check out the website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much,
2: Sean. Bye bye.
0: Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602508. Zero nine six zero I told you what LeBron James did. He put up a picture of a policeman saying you're next, hashtag accountability. And then he took it down uh after receiving some criticism. I love what Lenny Dykstra wrote on Twitter. On behalf of pro athletes, current and former, I apologize for how LeBron James just showed his inner Maxine Waters and made a very real ongoing threat to the life of the officer who quickly acted to prevent a knife attack from becoming worse. Many of us appreciate what LEOs do, law enforcement officers. Okay. Thank you, Lenny Dykstra. That can't be easy to say, to condemn and criticize LeBron James. Uh, it, it, it can't possibly be right. But, uh, but, boy, I mean, my gosh. Clay Travis, did you even watch the video, buddy? shot a woman armed with a knife trying to kill an unarmed person. Here's his perspective. This is even more shameful than you shutting up and dribbling for your boy, Chairman G in China. <laughs> you like that, huh? Okay. All right. Uh, I'll read you some more commentary. Jason Whitlock. LeBron James, like other elites, is using racial division as a distraction as athletes reshape America to be more like communist China. Elites prefer communism. Millionaire elites are protected by communism. They're the talented tenth that W.E.B. Du Bois promoted. You're being played. Thank you, Jason Whitlock. Let's go to Alan in Phoenix. Hello, Alan.
1: Well, hello. good afternoon, Seth. How are you?
0: I'm well, sir. How are you? It's nice to hear your voice.
1: Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, hanging in there, considering we already got to the uh, the dusty days of whatever we got here today. I nice.
0: know, right.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing is the, the party in Wisconsin or Minnesota um, poured gas on this for a long time because Chauvin was going to plead guilty to third-degree murder right off the bat. He knew what he had done. Um, it was personal between those two. If I don't remember incorrectly, I think there was a history there. That's why this was never really racial. And he would have, he would have pleaded guilty. They just wanted more, and they wanted the trial. Um, so it's, you know, it's sad how keep they keep pouring gas on this. And then with LeBron, nobody's above being criticized, you know.
0: Yeah, I listen. I um. I, what what i'm struck by is a couple of things one is the effort to keep this going the statements by joe biden and kamala harris last night uh the statements that you're seeing from um from political leaders today and the announcement of new legislation federalizing legislation today the statement by the U.S. Attorney General opening up a DOJ investigation into the police departments of Minneapolis, uh, in Minneapolis. This effort to keep it going um, and, and to play this uh, race angle as far as we possibly can over a case, as you point out, Alan, that was simply not – there is no element of race playing a part of it on any part of the record. It depends on something you know, deep, which go ahead, go ahead
1: yeah there's honestly, and we all know this there's no race going on in ninety nine percent of everything other than the flapping lips of
0: the talking head well, that's the point it's, I was going to make, right when someone says it's useless yeah, right. when someone takes yeah, an they're, offense they're, at they're something serious. we we and, and they blame it on their race you you simply don't know, <laughs> you simply don't know yeah. and 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 given that. Given that, Alan, um, w- w- what we are told then is a deep part of critical race theory, which is that we all have an implicit bias buried deep within us such that the Chauvin-Lloyd uh, uh, attack or the Chauvin-Lloyd uh, embroilment could only be seen as a racial incident could only be by very virtue of the fact that one is white and one is black because the white person has implicit bias he may or may not know about, but that's what animated his attack on George Floyd. That's what critical race theory will tell you. Where it falls apart is that it puts that analysis on almost nothing else. It doesn't put that analysis on on black-on-black crime. It doesn't put that analysis on on white-on-white crime or Hispanic-on-Hispanic crime or Hispanic-on-white crime or black-on-white crime. It fails because it's not provable as a thesis.
1: Well, and, and none of it is now anyways. I mean if you just go back before Obama, things were fine. You know, We had Tiger Woods as the best athlete in the world. Nobody cares about color of people. Lewis Hamilton is credited around the world as being the best F1 driver, you know? He's the best. I mean, granted, he's a person of color, but nobody cares. Um, the, the, the media people make up, the talking heads, if you add them all up, they're like 37 of them maybe. And, and they constitute such a small fraction of the air being blown around that if you just ignore 99% of it, you don't miss any of it because what they don't talk about is nothing is going on. In our daily lives, we walk around. Do we see people being racistized and denied things? I don't think so. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't think so. You know, and we all need, we all see that. We all see that we don't need masks. We all see that this this was the flu. We all see that these people are all...
0: Uh, hey, Alan, years, Alan, so. let me ask you a question. Do you have... Uh, sure. friends, acquaintances, or colleagues, for that matter, who are people of color?
1: People of color, every color, every sexual okay, orientation, so, every if, so, if and So if, do sure. you
0: worry, do you, I, I assume your relationships with all of them are, are, are great, fine, good, or just, you know, based on the merits of, 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 of them being friends or not. Do you worry about that changing because of this new culture that we're in? In other words, do you worry about your ability to have these kinds of friendships changing?
1: No, because I think this, this culture thing is about toe deep in a, in, a, in an ocean full of people. It, 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 it's the froth on the top of the latte. It makes a lot of noise, but if you leave it alone for a while, it'll melt off and go away. Um, the, the radicals are making all the noise, but they get to play in the in the media realm, that makes it look like seven people or seven hundred thousand, and and it's because it's, 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 in everybody's life, most everybody's life is normal, not
0: boy. I hope you're right. Media. I, I hope you're right.
1: I mean, your life. What? How's your life, Seth? I mean, do you run, your daily life today? Did you run into anybody in any situation in any store that was being racially denied anything?
0: No, of course not.
1: Okay. But. I was in a QT this morning, had every race, everything, right. and everybody was getting right. their coffee and going in and out. Right. In but there's I a but. There's, there's a
0: but everything. here I want to explore with you. Can you hold on just a second? Okay. Okay, thanks. Sure. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Alan in Phoenix uh, has called in, and uh, I wanted to hold him over. Alan, you were making a very good point about what the talking heads and political activists say and believe on the one hand, especially when it comes to issues of race in America and the way most of us lead our lives. You were talking about um, how the rhetoric just doesn't match uh, most of our realities. And I, I, think, I think you're mostly right except I worry about uh, um, something big here – And it was behind my question to you about whether you worry about it changing in your daily life. I worry about it changing. I worry about it changing because I worry about an all-consuming narrative that tells either whites or people of color that they can't trust each other anymore. Um, I worry about a generation growing up under that belief. I worry about – Uh, being uh, grouped into a a collective responsibility for something I think I've spent most of my life working against. I worry about um, crushing the possibility of minority children and underrepresented children um, from achieving because they will be um, surrounded by thoughts of teachings of pedagogy of messaging of being um resigned to live in a country that hates them so i worry about all that alan am i overstating the concern you think i am
1: um i think you're putting a little bit of icing on the concern but the concern is there so there is a cake of concern okay um (laughs) um but um this this whole um uh, disruption in in education is going to, I, I believe, in the next decade, really be a beneficial thing to those of us who believe in a traditional education. My kids went to a traditional elementary school um, uh, and learning what's really important as far as being an educated individual first. Um, and, and I think how it's going to shake out is going to be quite different from what we have now as far as the public-private school situation is how we educate the kids, which in the end will be very good for all of us. So I don't really worry too much because common sense prevails over idiocy because idiocy can't sell tickets.
0: (laughs) I hope you're right, Alan. Gosh, I really hope you're right. I really do. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, David Schweikert, Coming up at the top of the next hour. And then, oh my gosh, a great, great, great piece in National Review that should have us all concerned about shoving critical race theory into every public school in America. The great Stanley Kurtz will be with us in our third hour. Stay tuned. lot more coming up. Be right back.